Amen. Now turn around and say hello to somebody. Hello. Good morning. Good to see you. Hello. 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 Good crowd today. Amen. Hello. 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 Interact. Yes. Amen. We've got other brothers and sisters who aren't meeting here today out in California. We have the, the Faith Baptist Church, the Iglesia Bautista de la Fe Bilingual. All right, it's bilingual church. We are instrumental in planting this church. My Timothy, Pastor Eligio Thomas, you've met him before, and his good people, we support them. We got a, a report back for January. Happy New Year to all of you. He says, uh, the, the line's been roaring now for two years, plus too long. It's time we all get back to God's business. Amen. Soul winning and soul searching. I like that. We need to get back to God's business. Soul winning and soul searching. And uh, he talks about his nucleus and how he, he, he keys off of what we're doing. We've gone back to creation, and they've gone back to creation to get back to basics. Where are our Sunday school teachers and workers? Raise your hand, Sunday school teachers and workers. How did it go today? Teaching creation. Did it go good? Did it go well? All right. Amen. 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 They don't believe they came from monkeys now, do they? No. Not at all. Amen. Sometimes our little ones may act like monkeys, but they didn't come from monkeys. Amen. Praise the Lord for the truth of the Word of God that we're created in the image of God and for His glory. Praise the Lord. All right. So they've gone back to creation. They've gotten back to, they're putting, now this is a really novel idea. I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek. They're putting literature about their church in a plastic sleeve that's got a hole in it that you can put over a doorknob. How many of you have ever seen that before? That's what we do. Amen. So they're doing that. They're going out, and even though some of their new converts may not be, you know, the most experienced soul winners, they're doing the work of soul winning. They're doing the job that God wants us to do. They're passing out little Hispanic tracts, little Spanish version of, of smile. You know, son, sonrisa para ti. See? It's más importante excepto Jesucristo en su corazón. See? Yes. Are you impressed? She's impressed. All right. All right. I, I can say five things that sound authentic. And after that, I have to say, come here, Angie, help me with this. <laughs> Amen. Praise God that we've got folks like the Thomases doing the work of God 3,000 miles away. And thank God for your giving, for your faithful giving. You're going to get a letter in the mail probably encouraging you to keep on keeping on and doing what you've been doing. And um, I want to thank you for your faithful support. This little envelope, it has a quotation from the book of Leviticus, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. We don't preach a lot about giving, but if I didn't mention it, I would be unscriptural. Uh, One-tenth of what we have, what we possess, what, whatever grows in our financial you know, life, automatically belongs to the Lord. He's given it to us to be a safe keeper, a, a steward of that. We need to give that back to Him. And this place, the local church, is a good place for you to start with that. And then over and above that, as uh, Jim Vineyard taught me years ago, we tithe because we're honest. We give an offering above the tithe because we show Him our love. So that's what we do. Amen. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, in addition to Faith Promise Missions, every missionary out there on the wall is supported by the free will uh, Faith Promise Missions giving of people here. God bless you for that. That's a local church thing. These people are sent by local church. They're sponsored by us. They're, they're supported by us. That's a good thing. That is such a good thing. And then we want to give the gift of God's Word. God's Word is so important. On the back of the pew in front of you is a copy of the Beams Bible in English, but we give them out in any good translation in other languages, only King James in English, but, uh, you know, French, German, uh, other languages, all the different languages of the world, Papua New Guinea, so forth. And uh, we're doing it for $8 a Bible. We've already collected thousands of dollars for this year's annual offering. It's going to run through the end of February using this envelope. Give as much as you can. Give a dollar. Give eight dollars. Buy a Bible. Give a hundred dollars. Buy twelve Bibles plus whatever you can give. And we've got through the end of February to do that. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. We've got some exciting things coming up in the month of February. Faithful men will meet. We will have a report meeting. Great things going on 
in the month of February. You're going to hear about that. Month of March, reserve the date, Saturday, March the 5th. Everybody, what day is it? March the 5th, Saturday. All right. We are going to pull out of the mothballs the Beast Feast. We have got all the meat provided. Thank you, Tony, Dave, and others who hunted and brought in meat. God bless you. That is fantastic. And anything you can do with beef, you can do with venison. And I contend that you can do it as well or better. We have recipes. We're going to need people to make twice as much. We've got the meat. We're getting ready. We're going to need side dishes. We're going to need those world-class desserts. All right. Ladies, raise your hands right now. Raise your hand. Come on. Look at your hand. Your hand is raised. Okay. You're going to make a world-class dessert, all right, or two or three. We are going to have us a beast feast. It is an activity. Even though women hunt with bow and so forth and uh, hunt otherwise, we are going to have an activity. This is a men and boys activity. The ladies are going to help us prepare for it, just like the men are going to help the women to have their ladies and girls tea in the spring. Well, we're going to help them with transportation and set up and clean up afterwards and so forth. So we help each other. But this is an activity to bring in as many guests as we can. How many of you have neighbors, friends, family, in-laws, co-workers, fellow students that are men or boys? Raise your hands. All right, we need to get them here. All right, 1 o'clock, March the 5th, we're going to have outdoor sports and competition. Outdoor sports and competition. And that will be... Uh, bow shooting and fly casting and we're gonna we, we've been very blessed no accidents no fatalities so far and uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to have a great time of competition those awards will then be given later that's one o'clock in the afternoon Sam I want you to mark this down four o'clock four o'clock is the meal I want you to bring all your friends all right four o'clock all those guys from the meetings all right bring them if you can tell them they're loved here all right we're going to love them, right? Everybody he brings, right? Everybody you bring. We're going to love them. We're going to show fellowship and care. Amen. <laughs> Come on now. All right. Four o'clock. Four o'clock. We'll have the meal and we will have the message, which will be the plan of salvation. Draw the net. We always have folks get saved. And then we're going to have awards. And we're going to give away so many things. Everybody's going to feel like they're going away with something. So mark that date. That's a special, special date. We're going to do something else right now. We have these notebooks. Harold, I'm saving this one for you out there, okay? You asked me to save you a blue one. Just an ordinary notebook. We're reading through the Bible, and we have the method of reading through the Bible right here. Men, come on down and pass one of these to every person here to remind them. Uh, we should be today, if you're reading two books in the, excuse me, two chapters in the Old Testament every day, Monday through Saturday, and three on Sunday, and then one chapter in the New Testament, Monday through Saturday, and two chapters in the New Testament on Sundays, like it says right here. There you go. Read through the Bible in 2022. I'm reading through the Bible. Today, we're getting through all of Genesis. You can go home and catch up. You can read 50 chapters in Genesis today. Take notes and get caught up. We're through Matthew 27 today, by my count, and you can get it done. All right, men, come on back. If you haven't got one of these free notebooks, we're going to give you a free notebook. want you to do this. Inside, put down Old Testament in the front. Write the date. Write Genesis 1, etc. About two-thirds of the way through. We want you to, to go ahead and... Um, there we go. There's some more. Share, 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 share. Very good. If you haven't got one, raise your hand. We're going to give it to you free. And we want you to mark it and read and mark it and read and go back and visit. Amen. Amen. And read through the Bible. In 2022, read through the Bible, and read the Bible through in 2022. Let's go on door-to-door -door visitation, right, Daquan, amen, right, visitation. We've got, we've got those little packets that we described. We've got English and Spanish in them, and you can give them, put them on doors. Don't put them in mailboxes. Put them on doors. Talk to people and tell them they are invited, loved, will be welcomed here at Central Baptist Church. Come on in, kids. Good to see you today. God bless you. Glad for everybody who's here. Now, have you got your Bible? Come on, let's take our Bible. It's time for us now to get into the Word of God. I want you to pray about revival. We have um, these cards about fasting and prayer. I'll, I'll do those next week. If you haven't got one of those, 
I can see you afterwards. We'll be glad to share it with you. And this is, this is our opportunity now to claim 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and, uh, and uh, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. How many of you believe that our land needs healing uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially? Amen. We do. And it's not going to come because of political activity alone or all the programs that Congress decides to pass. It will come when we finally say, yes, Lord Jesus. When we finally turn it over to God. Now, for us not to be hypocrites, we need to turn our own life over to God. We need to turn our marriage over to God. We need to turn our kids over to God. We need to turn our business and our finances over to God. We need to turn all of our relationships over to God. That's what I'm saying. If we will do that, uh, if we will humble ourselves, God is going to help us. Today I want you to turn in your Bibles in the New Testament to Mark's Gospel. We have Matthew and Mark, so it's the second book of the New Testament. So turn there with me if you would please. Mark, who wrote the second Gospel, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew was a disciple, one of the twelve. His name was Levi, he was a tax collector. He got saved and he wrote under inspiration those 28 chapters of Matthew, the longest Gospel, and he wrote from a Jewish perspective and he presents Jesus Christ as the king. He is Jesus the king, the king of the Jews. And so we have a Hebrew perspective being brought into it. I'm going to skip over to Luke. Luke was the physician that accompanied Paul on his journeys. And, uh, and he wrote 21 chapters. And, and it's a, it's a great, uh, it's a, it's a great uh, thing to be able to read the uh, chapters by chapter by chapter by chapter. I'm going to go out there. Actually, I said 21. That's wrong. He wrote, he wrote 24 chapters, and those 24 chapters are very lengthy because he's a doctor, and he writes in some detail, and he presents Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. He is the divine God-man. And then John writes uh, 16 chapters, and John is the youngest disciple, and he lives the longest, and he writes, you know, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation also. And John writes uh, presenting Jesus Christ as the Savior for the whole world. But Mark, this is interesting, this is John Mark, whom we see in the book of Acts. He's the one that went back prematurely, and, uh, and then later on he was restored and became profitable, and uh, Paul refers to him that way. And he, he writes, he was, he was uh, discipled by Peter, so he has Peter's influence, and he writes the shortest gospel, which uh, is uh, very brief, just, just 16 chapters. John is 21 chapters. Luke is 24 chapters. Matthew is 28 chapters. I finally got it right. And in Mark, we have things that are very sudden and very abrupt. So things are presented in a very brief fashion. Hopefully now I haven't got everybody confused. Everybody's found Mark chapter 3. And if you haven't, just stare at your Bible wherever you are and look intelligent. All right, okay. Because you are. You are. All right. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And uh, we are going to begin in uh, verse 31. Verse 31 says, There came then his brethren and his mother, and that's Jesus' brethren in the flesh, and his mother Mary, standing without or outside the group where Jesus is, is ministering, uh, sent unto him, calling him, and the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without or outside seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. He goes like this. Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Now, please don't take this as a rejection by Jesus of his human family. Quite the contrary. Until the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, after he died on the cross, his family did not accept him as the Messiah, as the Savior. It was after the resurrection that his family accepted him. He's not rejecting them. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. 
What a tragedy that is. But that's the fact. That's the fact. They really thought he had lost his mind. We have several places where that reference is made to the ministry of Jesus Christ. As though he is beside himself, he's not in command of his faculties. That was not true. I said earlier this week to somebody, as Vance Havner said, and I'm quoting him, nowadays when a Christian is normal, doing what the Bible says, when a Christian is normal, there are so many professing Christians who are subnormal that they look at that normal Christian and they think he or she is abnormal. And that's it. That's exactly it. What is correct is not measured by the average. We do not want to be average. Average is the best of the worst and the worst of the best. Who wants to be that? I don't want to be that. I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to be who He wants me to be, where He wants me to be. I want to be yielded to Him. The Bible tells us about that. So when Jesus said, Behold, this is my family. You around me. Now when Jesus taught, he used all of the methods. If you haven't got the book written by uh, Dr. David Weeks, you need to get the book, on the Sunday school book, and he explains the different ways that different kids and adults learn. Therefore, we have to teach a variety of ways in order to reach people. Some people sit and they learn from a lecture. How many of you are... Wired that way. Raise your hands. You learn from a lecture. How many of you don't learn so good from a lecture? Raise your hands. All right. Very good. How about if I take a football and I throw it back there to you, Jonathan, I said, you caught it. You got it, Jonathan. Good. That's our completion. That's what this means. Now you get it. That works for you, doesn't it? Jesus would walk. He would pick up the children. He would bless the children. He would teach that way. He would, he would catch a fish. He would illustrate. That's the way Jesus would teach. So he would teach, and he would, he would, in a group setting, he would use the group as well. Say, man, that's the way I like to learn. I like to get the answers from the person across the row. Now, I'm not talking about that. Sometimes group discussion helps people to learn. So some people learn that. How many of you like to be part of a group? Raise your hands. I like to be part of a group. All right. All right. Now, I'm not asking you, are you a great student? I'm just saying people are wired differently. And so Jesus is there among them, and he's got them, and they're, they're surrounding him, and he says, my, my mother, my brethren, behold, you're my mother, you're my brethren, if you do the will of God, if you do the will of God. Now, what's the primary, the primary step, the very first thing you've got to do if you're going to be in the will of God? The Lord is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That's it. God wants you to be saved the Bible way. Not some other way, but the Bible way. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. The way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, I don't want to accept that. I want to get over here. I want to be in the universalist crowd. I want to be in the crowd that says, if you're sincere and you do this in this religion, why, you'll be good enough. Then you can't be a follower of Jesus Christ because he said, this is the only way. He says, I am the only way. So you can't have Jesus and five other methods. It's Jesus Christ. Have you ever asked Jesus Christ into your heart? Have you asked Him to take away your sins? Have you asked Him to be your own personal Savior? All right, then you trust Him and Him alone, not Him plus something else. He's the one that's going to save you. I'm not going to save you. I would if I could, but see, I would have to die for my own sins. I couldn't die for your sins. Jesus didn't have any sins of His own. He became the sin offering. He died for the sins of mankind. He died for your sins and for my sins. Aren't you glad somebody loved us so much? I can't tell you how much He loved you, but I can show you. He died on a cross. He suffered. He died. He's the Lamb of God. He did that for you. He did that for me. That's what Rosie, little Muslim gal, said with tears running down her face. She said, I've been the only one. He'd done that for me. 
That's it. If you'd been the only one, Jesus Christ would have died on the cross for your sins. Aren't you glad? Amen. How can you reject that? How can you refuse that? Listen to me out there. How can you turn down Jesus Christ? He is the way, but He is the only way. He is the life, but He's the only life. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only truth. Amen and amen. All right. Jesus is not rejecting His natural family. In fact, there are some very specific things in the Bible about how we're supposed to treat our natural families. He's just saying... This is a new identity, a new identity. The Bible is all about relationships. It's about godly relationships. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We need to be spiritual first. Before we're anything else, we need to be spiritual. You're made up of, and I'm made up of, three parts. The Apostle Paul tells us that, three parts. Inside of you and inside of me is our spirit, our spirit. It's invisible, but that's the part that God talks to and we talk to God, the spirit. Then there's also the soul. That's your personality. Nobody can see it, but they can see the effects of your personality by the way you act out and the way you behave. And we see that in the third part, which is your physical part, your body. So we're spirit, soul, and body. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't accept Him just in your body. You don't accept Him just in your personality or your emotions. You accept Him in your spirit. And that's the real you, and that's the real me. What's most important in your life and mine, listen, is that part which is spiritual. What's most important in your life and mine is our spiritual relationships. Now, let's go back to the first institution, marriage, the home. It has taken us, like it takes everybody, a while to get to know each other. But I love her spirit. That's the real her. She loves my spirit. That's the real me. After you've lived with somebody, been married to somebody as we have for these years, you get to know somebody better than you did at first. And that's, that's our first concern is spiritual. Emotional, you know, personality, yes. Body, yes. We're concerned about one another's physical well-being but we have a relationship which is personal. When you have been married a while, a number of years, your relationship, which is spiritual inside, the real you, should deepen and grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And if you believe that, say amen. amen. All right. Same thing is true with order and society, government. And same thing is true in this church. As, as I think about the whole concept of the church. This is a body that is likened to a physical body. Jesus is the head, and we're, you know, one of the fingers or the wrist bone or the elbow. We're all connected, aren't we? We're all connected. Yes, we are. That is a reference to the function of this local body. That's us. So, well, now, I believe in the universal invisible church. I believe that I'm part of a church that's part over yonder and over in Africa and Asia and all that. And as somebody has well said, that's not a church in the sense of the New Testament. That is a crime scene because you got a finger, a hand over there, you got a foot over there and so on and so forth everywhere. You've got to be together to function. You've got to work together and cooperate to function. That's the meaning of that passage of Scripture. When we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you can do it for homework at home along with the entire book of Genesis and the entire book of Matthew, you can read through it and you can see what that is. It does not make any sense just to say my identity is completely you know, spread all over the map. Now, I can find Christians in places that I've never met before and we are in total agreement on this book right here because we got saved by the same Jesus Christ, and we got made brand new, uh, regenerated by the same Holy Spirit, and we are listening to the directions through the Word of God uh, from the same God the Father, and we, we have all that in common, even though we've never met. And so even though it's wonderful, we're part of the family, the family of God. Well, that's important. You know what's most important? This connection right here. Now, if we're connected up there, then we're connected together down here too in the family of God. But to function... 
there's a step beyond that. You get into the family of God by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's all you got to do to get into the family of God. So I'm part of the family of God. I've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I've asked Him in my heart. How about you, Neil? All right, amen, amen. Now, because I'm alive and, and saved and on the earth, I'm part of the spiritual kingdom that Jesus described in the Gospels. I'm part of the kingdom. Now, the literal kingdom is coming for a thousand years, and Jesus, King Jesus will come back and sit on the throne for a thousand years. But right now, the spiritual, the spiritual kingdom, I'm part of the kingdom. So, I'm in the family of God. Amen. I've been saved. How did I get in? I received Christ as my Savior. How did I get into the kingdom of God? Well, I got saved, and I'm in the family of God, and I'm alive and on the earth right now. But there's something else. One day, somebody preached a message and said, you know what? You should not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. How many of you believe that? You should not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. You should be scripturally baptized to picture the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You should be scripturally baptized to picture your death to your old self-willed way of living and your resurrection to walk in newness of life. You should be baptized to picture that someday the dead in Christ are going to rise from the dead when Jesus comes back. You should not be ashamed to be baptized. And that baptism needs to be administered by those who have authentically been given that commission and the of course, none other than John the Baptist was the one that Jesus walked all those miles to to get baptized. Now you think, Jesus Christ, he never sinned, he never did anything wrong. Why couldn't he just dunk himself and then dunk everybody? But he went to the one person who was authenticated, who was given that responsibility. He walked all those miles to John the Baptist to get the right baptism. And from that time into this, Jesus was baptized, his disciples were baptized, and from that time until this, there is an unbroken line of those who have believed this book. It didn't just pop up somewhere, but people have believed this. That's why, Sharon, Sharon, you got right baptism, didn't you? You came here, amen, you came here. Before, you did what you knew to do, but when you came here, you learned right baptism, correct? Right baptism, and she followed the Lord in scriptural baptism. Sharon, that didn't save you, did it? Jesus saved you. And so she, she's back there trying to translate at the same time. Uh, I'm making her do extra. We'll pay her overtime. Okay? All right, Chris? Okay. Amen. That's important. That is so important as a testimony to do things decently and in order. Now, getting the right baptism doesn't save you, doesn't keep you saved, has nothing to do with the salvation. That's been done, finished by Jesus Christ. Amen? But your identification, that's what we're talking about today. It's all about relationships in the Bible. We have other things discussed in the Bible. The Bible will tell you how to be a good employer or employee. The Bible will tell you how to be a good teacher or a good student, good mentor, good protege, all of those things, very important. But here's the thing. In this world, nobody, even if your personality is somewhat recessive and passive, nobody is an island. Everybody's connected to somebody else. And we, we choose to associate with people. You say, well, I have a desire to do, you know, X, Y, Z. I, I, I like that. And, and so you have an association or a group that you're part of. Hopefully you're not yoking up with unbelievers that will cause you to compromise your testimony. We gravitate, we associate, we connect relationships. I'm saying relationships can be good. Relationships ought to be godly. They should be godly. I want you to think about it. Does your association or your connection, does it take you away from Jesus or does it draw you closer to Jesus? Does it give you the opportunity to be a better soul winner or does it put you in a situation where you're uncomfortable to tell anybody about Jesus? We ought to think about that. We need to judge our own relationships. Come on. Now, when you're married, you stay married. If you haven't stayed married, the next one you marry, stay married to, all right? And I'm just saying that. You say, preacher, that doesn't, that doesn't sound very family-oriented. No, your preacher is standing up here, and I'm saying the important thing is not to quit, not to give up. You say, oh, I married the wrong person. I just thought I'm going to quit. That's not a basis for quitting. Here's what you do. 
You got a situation that's not ideal, welcome to the real world. What do you do? You turn it over to God. That's what you do. And you let Jesus lead. And you, you, to, with you and Jesus, you make the best out of it, all right? So here we are. We have a relationship. I want to talk to you about that, which is normal and healthy. Relationships require something. And it's all going to be an R here. Relationships require. Now, if I use the word reciprocal, you understand that means mutual. It means both ways. Reciprocal. And there technically is a word reciprocality, reciprocality, but instead they say reciprocity, reciprocity. The preacher, you lost me. I'm not, I'm not trying to lose anybody. Reciprocity means for mutual benefit and for a relationship to be healthy and godly and right, no matter what that relationship is, there is that mutual aspect known as reciprocity. It's going to work both ways. It is wrong for us in a godly relationship to say, I'm only going to function successfully and godly in this relationship if the other person or the other people are doing right. No, 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 no. Because who do we answer to? Every godly relationship, we answer to who? God. That's right. And who do they answer to? God. So when you say, I'm going to punish them, I'm not going to give out, I'm not going to behave the way I ought to because they're not doing right. You've missed the boat, Christian. We need to be right because we're right with God. We need to be right because hopefully they'll be right with God when they see that you're right with God. I like what one evangelist said, said to his wife. Her name was Katie. And he said, I've told Katie, uh, that if she leaves, I'm going to go with her. If she leaves, I'm going to go with her. You say, well, you know, preacher, in the real world, I've already been down that road one, two, three, four times. What I'm telling you is just as practical and biblical as I can tell you. You and your relationship need to be right with God. Right with each other. Continue on. Don't quit. Don't go to the right hand. Don't go to the left hand. Keep on going. Do something that would honor God, that would bless those whose life you touch. It's so important. People talk about give and take. Say, yeah, in my relationship, they do all the taking and I do all the giving. But remember, who do we answer to? Come on, God. Who do they answer to? God, that's it. Let God take care of it. Just put aside your your family, your familiar relationships for a moment. Let's talk about you and your enemies. You say, I don't have any enemies. Everybody has people for whoever, for whatever reason, have made themselves your enemy. They're hostile towards you. What does Jesus say in the higher uh, giving of the law? What does he say that we ought to do with our enemies? He said, kill them, kill them, kill them, destroy them, destroy them. No, what does he say? Love your enemies. Now, how can I do that? I can't love. You're standing over here. You're looking at your enemy. I'm not looking at my enemy. I'm looking this way. I'm looking at my enemy. You say, I can't love that person. I can't love that person. You know why you can't love them? Because you're staring at everything that's wrong with them, you think. Now, here's what you do. You stand over here, and the Lord says, love your enemy. Where do you look? God. Now you can love him. Now you can love her. Come on. Now you can love family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, enemies. I'm talking godly relationships. Admittedly, we have our flesh and blood relationships. Boy, do we have them. And you know every time there is a holiday... You know, you have to put down ground rules so that it doesn't become a food fight. Some cases are worse than others. But here's the thing. Get back over here. You can love your family. How can you love your family? Oh, I just love them because I, I just look right at them and I love them for so many reasons. Wrong. They won't always be adorable. They won't always be lovable. So how do you love your family? Look to who? God. 
Look to Jesus. That's how you can love your family. That's how you can love your in-laws. That's how you can love your friends, your neighbors, people that you're co-workers with and fellow students with. That's how you can do it. Who do you look to? Who are you going to keep your eyes on? God. That's right. See, this is the simplest message. This is probably the best message you're going to hear for a long time. Amen. There it is. So when we think about keying off of Jesus Christ, looking, focusing on Him, we can love everybody else. We can treat everybody else right. We don't wait for them to do I'm just going to wait for them to do right. Well, stick your lip out till you trip over it. But, you know, it's going to be painful. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just do right. Treat people. I'm telling you now. Treat people like you treat Jesus. Treat people like you treat Jesus. Now, I know some of you are having difficulty pulling your horns in, but now just get them in there. Get them all the way in. It's about time we who are Christians and claim to be started living like it. Instead of going around trying to gore everybody. Trying to prove a point. Trying to win every argument. Boy, get over that. Lady, get over that. You do not have to engage in a debate with everybody and be right all the time. You know why? Because we're not right all the time. The other night, got my wife laughing. She said to me, you know, you're right most of the time. Now, I wanted to, I looked for something to record that with, but. And when she said, you know, you're right most of the time, I said, no, no, I'm not. I said, you can just put it down this way. <clears throat> I'm only wrong some of the times. Or I'm not wrong some of the times. That's it. We need to get over having the last word. Get over being the one that's right all the time, that wins the argument. You win the argument, you, you, lose, you lose the episode, you lose the, the relationship, you lose the effectiveness. Just get over it. You say, are you talking about becoming a doormat and just giving in all the time? No. No, you can say, hey, we can agree to disagree. Let's go on. Let's have supper. You know, we can agree to disagree. We can have that cup of coffee. We can talk about that other thing. We, can, we, don't, have to, we don't have to do that. Now, if they're blaspheming God, if they're, you know, you might have to get out of there. If they're, if they're saying awful, terrible things about Jesus, you know, say your peace and get out of there. Try not to, try not to leave, uh, you know, it a crime scene. Try to leave under better conditions than that. But otherwise, you don't have to win the argument. I don't have to win the argument. We do have some responsibilities toward our families, though. We read in the scriptures that if we don't take care of our own, we are worse than a heathen. That means we have financial responsibilities. And everybody here, whatever relationships you have developed over time, I don't care how complex they are, you and I are responsible for taking care of our own. Sometimes that's very difficult, especially when these people are adults and they're sick and you've got to look after them and you've got to figure out a way to do that, it's not easy, is it, folks? It's not easy. Come on. It's not easy. This is not easy. But we've taken on responsibilities and you can't stop in the middle and you can't quote some Bible verse out of context and suddenly make it right not to take care of people that you're responsible for. When you have in-laws, family members, kids, brothers, sisters, siblings who are heavy, let's say, drug or alcohol abusers, and they want money from you, you buy groceries for the kids. You buy groceries for, for the people that are going to be harmed by their habit. You try to help them. You do an intervention if you can. You try to help them get into a Christian rehab program. You do what you can. You don't just hand them money so they can go get some more booze, some more drugs. You've got to be careful about that. That's very important. But you are responsible, and I am responsible for people who have that relationship with us. We don't all of a sudden become immune and say, well, I can't do anything about it. It's not my problem. I didn't make, I didn't make that problem. Most of the problems that we're in, we didn't make. Well, in some cases. But nevertheless, we're there. And what are you going to do? We're going to love people like Jesus. We're going to love people like Jesus. That's it. We're going to treat people like Jesus. That's it. Our spiritual family is important. It transcends 
In the spiritual realm, all the biological family members, different family tree members that we have, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, different. it's different than race, it's different than language, it's different than nationality, but it is a new identity. This is important for us. We have this new identity. If you have not been saved, you need to get saved the Bible way. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You should, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have a new set of interests. A new set of interests. A new identity, a new set of interests. So our interests should be, and you've got to try this, okay? Our interests should be in knowing what God wants us to know. Read through the Bible. You say, I can't, I can't imagine reading the Bible 24-7. I'm not asking you to read it 24-7. But we should read it every day. It's God's love letter. We should pray every day. We should seek God's will every day. We should surrender to God constantly, 24-7, and say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Everybody around us is a creature, a creation of God, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ if we've been saved the Bible way. We do have an identity with these other Christians, but they may not have the specific identity that we have in Central Baptist Church. That doesn't mean that we are competitors with XYZ Church over here or XYZ religious group. It just means that we pray for them. You remember when the disciples came and said, Jesus, Jesus, there's this guy down the road and he's casting out demons and he's doing miracles in your name. Should we stop him? And Jesus said, no, he that is not against me is with me. So in that sense, XYZ church, you know, non-denominational this, Pentecostal that, whatever they are, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ if they know Jesus Christ as Savior. That doesn't mean that we are going to have a joint church activity or an ecumenical gathering or something of that nature. We're going to love them. We're going to try to point them in the right direction in terms of doctrine and practice. We are not going to treat people uh, in a demeaning fashion or in, a, in an unfriendly fashion because we're all part of the family of God if they've been saved the Bible way. Can I get an amen on that? All right, so we're going to be kind and courteous and compassionate, and some of you need to check your attitudes, all right? Okay. Family of God. The function takes place in the local church, though. That's where the function happens. So we need to get into the local church. We have a new identity, a new interest, the things of God. So we need to have an involvement, which goes beyond involvement. Not just going all the time, not just going three times a week, but, but becoming committed. All right, that's very important. And that comes to number four. This is what we call an investment. We need to invest in the work of God. I'm not just talking about your pocketbooks, your checkbooks, your portfolios. I'm talking about time, energy. I'm talking about your life. Jesus gave what? It all. Jesus sacrificed what? It all. What should we give? We should lay ourselves on the altar of consecration and say, Lord, whatever you want me to be, however you want me to be, wherever you want me to be, I will go, I will do, I will be part of it. You, if you provide it, if you go with me, Lord, if you open the doors, if you give me the enablements, Lord, I'm willing. Now, we can't dig our heels in and be blessed by God. We've got to let the Lord have His way in our life. The family of God is described for us, and we're in that if we've been saved. But now we want to get into the church of God. We want to be part of it. You need the right baptism to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and with right doctrine and with right practice. And we need to give the right picture, not a blurred picture, but a clear picture of that. I'm thankful for my natural family. I happen to have been born into a wonderful Christian home. Maybe you weren't. You can be the first one. You can, you can establish that. But I was born into a third-generation Baptist preacher's home. I have a wonderful legacy of, of Bible teachers and preachers in my family. And very early on, they presented the gospel to me. When I was old enough to understand, I realized they were praying, they were reading the Bible, and as a little boy, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I waited a few years, and uh, one night, uh, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, don't you think you ought to get baptized? And I said, well, sure. And they said, well, go forward. And so I walked forward, and I told my dad. My dad was the pastor. And I said, I want to get baptized. Like, like Brad, when he was four and a half, he said, Daddy, I need to get baptized. I knew what he meant. I didn't make fun of that. Went through it. You know how many times we went 
through to make sure that they knew what they were doing. They were saved. First time out, they were saved. They received Jesus as their Savior into their little hearts. And they've been loving Jesus all these years. But I had the privilege of baptizing. The picture of death, burial, and resurrection. The picture of my death to my old life. Did they understand every aspect of the Christian life? No, and neither do you. You don't understand everything there is to understand about Christianity. We're constantly learning. But were they obedient? Yes. Who did they please? Oh, mommy, daddy, no. Who'd they please? God. They pleased Jesus. That's right. Daddy, I want to be baptized like Jesus was. Why? I asked Jesus in my heart. I need to be baptized. So I baptized. And we're so proud. So pleased. I have to say, every time we enter into the waters of baptism, I realize no sins are getting washed away. Nobody's salvation is being confirmed. No one's getting more out of their salvation by being baptized. This is not adding to your points with God. This is an outward picture. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of what He means to me. I want to identify with. I could go down and I could join this club or this group or this association or this delegation or whatever. But I've decided to become a part of this local body where the fingers and the hands and the wrists and the elbows and everything are all connected. We can function and work together for Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you today would say, Preacher, the Word of God spoke to my heart. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. Slip your hand up high. Spirit of God spoke to me. Amen. Amen. I wonder what are you going to do about it today? We have the opportunity in just a moment as we extend the invitation for people to step out and to come down and to identify. If you've never, ever told anybody that you've received Christ as your Savior, you can do that today. If you've been saved and you want to be baptized, you've been saved, you want to join the church, come let us know. If you want to come and pray about something, wonderful. But the most important thing is, do you know if you died right now, that you would go to heaven. Can you remember a time and a place when you asked Jesus in your heart? If you can't remember a time and a place when you asked Jesus in your heart, then right now is your time. If you're not sure that you're saved, right now is your time. On this January the 23rd, just around noon, on that Sunday, 2022, you're going to call on the name of the Lord and be saved the Bible way. Pray from your heart. Pray silently. Pray to God. Here's what you pray. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Now heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you slip your hand up right now so I can see your hand? Come on. Sometimes does it seem too good to be true That God's only Son lived and died just for you Is it hard to believe that His love's really there When in spite of your sin, He continues to care I don't know what a sinner you are, but I know a Savior He is. I don't know where your feet have taken you, but His climbed up Calvary's hill. I don't know what kind of words you've spoken. His words were, Father, forgive. I don't know What a Savior He is. 
Sometimes does it seem you've wandered too far You'll never get back to your place in His heart Don't you know that He waits for the sound of your prayer? Just whisper His name and you'll find that He's there I don't know what a sinner you are But I know what a Savior He is I don't know where your feet have taken you But His climbed up Calvary's hill I don't know what kind of words you've spoken words were father forgive i don't know what a sinner you are but i know what a savior he is what we are is not what matters but what he is to us who we are is not in but who we choose to trust I don't know what a sinner you are but I know what a Savior He is I don't know where your feet have taken you but it's kind of Calvary's hill. I don't know what kind of words you've spoken. His words were, Father, forgive. I don't know what a sinner you are, but I know what a Savior He is. Yes, I know what a Savior, he is. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed that, yes.